All right, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Yeshua the Messiah was vividly portrayed as crucified, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing, so then does the Almighty supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. How foolish it was for the Galatians to believe that faith in the Messiah was not enough for their salvation. Some of the believing Judahites, some of the believing Jews, were teaching the Gentiles that they weren't really saved. Even though the Gentiles had placed faith in Yeshua, some believing Judahites said, you're not saved until you proselytize over to become a Judahite through the works of the law, particularly circumcision. And that was a false gospel. Paul said, a curse be upon someone that tries to distort or twist the gospel of grace in Messiah, Galatians chapter 1. So today we're going to cover verses 4 through 5 of Galatians 3 which continues to center around that thought, and then we'll move into some final thoughts in this sermon about the gospel message. Galatians 3 verse 4 again says this. Paul says, Did you suffer so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? He speaks of their suffering here. And I believe Paul speaks of their suffering for the sake of the gospel. The Gentiles, that is the people who were once heathens, the ones that had not been raised in the Torah, they were now being persecuted because of what they believed about Yeshua of Nazareth. And Paul is asking them, does all your suffering in being persecuted for the Messiah, does that mean nothing? Has everything that has happened to you as a believer just been fake? See, while Paul was in Galatia evangelizing, he experienced great persecution from both the unbelieving Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles. Great persecution. Now, hold your finger in Galatians 3. We're going to be going back and forth from Galatians 3 to Acts 13, or excuse me, Acts 14 and 15. So if you want to keep your finger in Acts 14 and then Galatians 3, you can follow along with me. Talking about persecution. In Acts 14, 1 through 2, it says this. In Iconium, they, and the they there is Paul and Barnabas, entered the Judahite synagogue, that's the place of worship, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Judahites and Greeks believed. But the Judahites who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. If you continue on in Acts 14 verse 5, it says that an assault was made upon Paul and Barnabas to stone them. That's the type of persecution we're talking about. Not somebody said, I don't like you or I don't like what you believe. They made an attempt to assault Paul and Barnabas with rocks to stone them. And in Acts 14 verse 19, some of the unbelieving Judahites provoked the crowds of unbelieving Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas and they stoned Paul. This time they got to him. They stoned him and they dragged him out of the city thinking that Paul was dead. This is real persecution. Okay. 
So what Paul and Barnabas suffered, persecution for belief in the Messiah, the believing Gentiles that put their faith in Messiah, they began to suffer the same persecution. Why? Hearing with faith. They believed in the promised Messiah. See, it was not popular to believe that Yeshua of Nazareth was the promised Messiah or the Savior of the world. It wasn't life in America back then. I say so much that we have got to somehow, when we study the Bible, transport ourselves from 21st century America back to 1st century Jerusalem and the known world at that time. Or else we won't understand what's going on. It was not life in America back then. There was not a church on every corner back then. Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, our church. It just wasn't like that. There was not a prosperity gospel church where people went and heard about how their life would be glitz and glamour and all good if they just accepted Jesus. Those didn't exist. There was no freedom in Galatia to believe in Yeshua without fear of severe persecution from both the unbelieving Jews and the unbelieving heathens. If you begin to believe in this man from Nazareth, that he is the promised Messiah, the Son of Yahweh, you would suffer persecution. In Acts 14, verse 21 through 22, we read this. After they, that is Paul and Barnabas, had evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Those three cities, they're all cities in the region of Galatia. That's why Acts 13 and 14 is so important because it's Paul's first missionary journey which centered around the region primarily, not only, but primarily, the region of Galatia. When you read Acts 13 and 14, if you mark in your Bible, put Paul's missionary journey, the first one, to Galatia. So they evangelized these towns and then they returned back to these towns as they're coming back to their home base in Antioch in Syria, which is above the land of Israel. And it says, strengthening the hearts of the disciples. And the disciples here are the believing Judahites and the believing Gentiles. That's the disciples, the disciples of the Messiah. They're strengthening their hearts. They're encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them this. How did they encourage them? This was Paul and Barnabas' words of encouragement here at the end in verse 22. They said this, It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of the Almighty. Now that you do not hear in a prosperity gospel church. You're not supposed to have any trouble. You're not supposed to get sick. It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom. That's not only New Testament Bible, that's Old Testament Bible. Psalm 34 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And yes, it goes on to say, And Yahweh delivereth them out of them all. But that doesn't mean the afflictions don't happen. It's necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of Yahweh. So next time you pass through a trouble in this life, a sickness in this life, turmoil in this life, remind yourself it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom. Next time you get a little persecution in your life from somebody, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on your way into the kingdom. Amen. This is what Paul encouraged the disciples with. Not your best life now. Not make every day a Friday. But it's necessary to pass through many troubles. 
Becoming a believer was never intended to mean that life all of a sudden got easy. Sometimes I wonder how many Christians in America, including ourselves, would drop the faith if we had to live in a country where it was a crime to believe in the Messiah. I'm not talking about where people just didn't like it, but it was a crime. Because that's what we're talking about here in the region of Galatia. They stoned Paul with rocks to the point that they thought he was dead. Drug him out of the city. That kind of persecution. How would we act? See, Americanized Christianity, which is a false Christianity, Americanized Christianity is about your best life now, where even if we suffer a little bit, we think it's time to pray that the Lord take it off of us. Oh, we got to pray. We're suffering a little bit. Let's pray that Yahweh remove it from us. But no, Paul strengthened the disciples of the Messiah by telling them that it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom. So because you experience trouble for your spiritual walk with Yahweh and with the Messiah, that doesn't mean that something's going wrong with your life. It probably means that something's going right with your life. Yahweh disciplines those He loves. Hello. Can I preach a little bit? I still have a little Pentecostal in me. Is that okay? It's all right. I grew up Pentecostal. To clarify and summarize Galatians 3 verse 4, Paul is saying, Oh, Galatians, you've suffered for your belief in the Messiah. You've been persecuted just like Paul and Barnabas, which were, Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin and Barnabas was from the tribe of Levi. So they were Judaites. They'd been grown up in the Torah. But Paul is saying, Look, you've suffered just like we've suffered persecuted for the sake of the Messiah. But you haven't proselytized to to Judah in the way the false teachers are requiring of you, telling you that you're not saved until you get circumcised and become a a proselyte Judahite. You haven't done that, but guess what? You've still suffered. You've still been persecuted even though you haven't done that. Isn't that proof that you are disciples of Yeshua? Well, yes, it should be proof. That's what Paul's telling them. You're foolish who's hypnotized you, who's put a spell upon you. Verse 5, So then does the Almighty supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now this is similar to verse 2 where Paul asked them how they received the Spirit, but it's slightly different because here Paul speaks of supplying of the Spirit. In, In the Greek, that's an ongoing supply. Not just the initial reception, but an ongoing supply of the Spirit. And Paul says, does he who supplies you with the Spirit and works miracles. Paul mentions miracles. We're talking about actual miracles by the hands of the apostles. Does, does the one that does that, we know the one that does that is Almighty Yahweh. Does he do that by the works of the law, by proselytization through Judah, physical circumcision, in order to be saved, what the false teachers were teaching. Does he do it that way or does he do it by hearing with faith? See, while Paul and Barnabas were evangelizing in Galatia, Yahweh worked miracles by their hands. It was Yahweh that did the miracle, but the Bible says He did it, this is how He did it, by the hands of the apostles. Listen to this, Acts 14, if you still got your finger there. Acts 14 verse 3 says this, So they, that is Paul and Barnabas, stayed there for some time and spoke boldly. Notice when they got persecuted, they didn't leave, they spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them, Paul and Barnabas. 
They were able to do signs and wonders, miracles upon the earth. Notice that verse carefully. The Bible says that the Lord testified to the message of His grace by the miracles. The signs and the wonders were a testimony from Yahweh that the message of grace to the Gentiles is really true. In other words, Yahweh is saying, you won't believe the apostle? Let me give a testimony to the message of my grace by working a miracle through Paul and Barnabas' hands. In Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council, you're right there in Acts 15. The Jerusalem Council was about this exact question, Gentile salvation. We read in verse 12 of Acts 15 that the whole assembly fell silent, got quiet. That was after Peter talked. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders the Almighty had done through them among the Gentiles. Talking about Acts 13 and 14. Now, sometimes people think that I, Brother Matthew, am anti-miracles because I speak so hardly against false miracles. But how many know that being against false miracles doesn't mean you're against miracles? Hello. Being against false prophets doesn't mean you're against prophets. I believe in miracles. I believe in prophets. But I don't believe in false miracles. And I despise false prophets. I despise charlatans who sell their product on their stage and claim that they heal people during their crusades. And I despise men who milk people of their money and the people never really get healed from their sickness or disease even though they act like they do on their stage. Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, you name them. I don't mind naming their names. Paul said, Alexander, that coppersmith caused me much harm. I despise men who make prophecies and then when those prophecies do not come to pass, they act like it's no big deal and they just go about their merry way and think you're still supposed to listen to them when the Bible says in Deuteronomy 18, if a man makes a prophecy, tells you something's going to happen and it does not happen the way that the man said it was going to happen, do not listen to that man anymore. I believe that that man can repent, but until he repents, you should stay away from him and avoid him. Mark those who cause divisions among you and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them, Romans 16, 17 through 18. Have no fellowship with them. I despise men who teach against the law of Yahweh and then claim that they have the power of Yahweh. Mark my word, there is not such a thing as a man having the power of Yahweh that is anti the law of Yahweh. It doesn't exist. But I am a firm believer that Yahweh can still work miracles today. I believe in miracles. Why? Because the Bible teaches miracles. He can work miracles today directly or if He wants to, He can work a miracle through the hands of a man that He has appointed. I've experienced a miracle, at least one that I can remember vividly in my own life when my daughter Rosalind was born dead and didn't breathe for almost seven minutes, and then Yahweh brought her to life. Brother Arnold was there. Sister Hazel was there. Rochelle was there. My wife and I were there. I've experienced that miracle in my life. I've heard of a few miracles in the lives of those that I know and trust in this assembly. There were no gimmicks involved. No one had to send in a donation of 1995 or 99.95. No one had to sow a $100 seed in order to be blessed. 
The miracle came from the hand of Yahweh by faith. By faith. Yahweh can still perform miracles today. His hands are not tied. Yahweh's hands are not tied up there thinking, well, I can't do a miracle anymore. It's too far away from that time. No, Yahweh can do what He wants to do. One such miracle that Barnabas and Paul likely talked about at the Jerusalem Council is recorded in Acts 14, 8-10. Where we read this, Acts 14, 8-10, in Lystra, which remember Lystra was a city in Galatia, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth, and who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he jumped up and started walking around. Bonafide miracle. Everybody knew him in Lystra. Paul didn't have a crusade. Paul didn't set up a tent and tell him to come up to the altar and get on stage where everybody could see he was sitting right there in the street. And Paul saw, that man's got the faith to be healed. Stand up, get on your feet, walk. And the man that had never walked from his birth, he stood up and he jumped up and he started walking and everybody said, Bonafide miracle. Yahweh is testifying to the message of His grace that the word of the Gentiles is true. So I'm all for authentic miracles. Miracles done by the hand of Yahweh directly or miracles done by Yahweh through righteous men. Miracles that cannot be questioned. Miracles that cannot be explained any other way but by the power of Yahweh. And Paul is asking the Galatians, the Galatian Gentiles in 3 and verse 5, Does Yahweh supply you the Spirit and work miracles by the works of the law? That is by proselyting to becoming a Judahite. Or by hearing with faith. That is the gospel message being preached and you believe the message that you heard. How does the Spirit and the miracles come? The answer is by hearing with faith. The Galatians had not proselytized. The Galatians had not gotten circumcised for salvation. The Galatians were not Judahites ethnically, racially. They weren't Judahites. The Galatian Gentiles had not grown up in the Torah. Yet they received the Spirit. And they continued to be supplied with the Spirit. And the Lord testified to the message of His grace by working miracles through the hands of Paul and Barnabas while they were on their evangelistic mission to the Gentile towns. By the way, evangelization does not mean that a man travels from town to town and goes and preaches to a bunch of Christians. Somebody thinks that's what the work of an evangelist is. Well, I'm an evangelist. I go to all these different churches and I preach. That's not the work of an evangelist. The work of an evangelist is you go into an area where people are not saved, where people don't know the Lord, and you evangelize towns like Lystra, Iconium, people that don't know the message of salvation. That's a true evangelist right there. And all of this was done by hearing with faith. And I want you to remember that this was not shown first to the Apostle Paul. A lot of people give Apostle Paul down the road or down the river. Send him up the river, so to speak. But this message of grace to the Gentiles was not first shown to Paul. It was shown to Peter. Yahweh chose Peter. Look at Acts 15. You still have your finger there. Acts 15, verses 7 through 11 at the Jerusalem Council. Listen to what Peter said. He said, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days, he's talking about the time of Cornelius, in the early days the Almighty made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. Don't let that slip by right there in verse 7. Hear and believe. 
Galatians 3, 2 and 5, hearing with faith. Ephesians 1, 13, when you heard the gospel message, the truth of your salvation, and believed. Hearing with faith. That's what Peter's talking about here. And the Almighty, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit just as He also did to us. The us is the believing Judahites, Peter, James, the other ones. They received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The gift that they received was the gift of languages, languages that they had never learned, but yet they were able to speak in. That's a miracle. That's a gift of the Spirit. Cornelius and his household got the exact same gift in order to show that there was a parallel with Judah salvation and Gentile salvation, that Yahweh was bringing both of them into the fold as one body in unity. He knows the heart. He gave them the Holy Spirit just like He did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. He cleansed their hearts. How? By faith. By faith. Why then are you now testing the Almighty by putting on the disciples' necks a yoke that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Master Yeshua in the same way they are. Peter was the very first Judahite to take the good news about Yeshua to uncircumcised, non-covenant people. And those people were Cornelius and his friends and family. And he told them they could share in salvation in the Messiah. That's what Peter's vision is about in Acts chapter 10. The very people that Peter and many other believing Judahites, the very people that they thought could not share in salvation, could share in salvation. Acts 10.28, Peter said, Of a truth now I realize not to call any man. Yahweh have showed me, don't call any man common or unclean. But in every ethnos, in every nation, him that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. He makes no distinction. He's not a discriminator, Yahweh says. If a man hears the gospel message and has faith in it, it doesn't matter what his background, race, ethnicity, none of that matters. What matters is he's got faith in the Messiah and faith in the message and he can be saved just like us Judahites. That's what Peter was shown. Now what's interesting in Acts 15 is that Peter says that this was the same way that salvation happened for the circumcised. The circumcised Judahites. Hearing with faith. Peter said this, neither we, talking to his fellow Judah brothers, fellow Israelites, neither we nor our fathers were able to bear the yoke. And then he said, Yahweh purified the Gentiles' hearts by faith. And we believe we are saved through the grace of the Master Yeshua in the same way they are saved. In other words, Peter's saying, we have to get saved just like them, by grace. So if the Gentiles received the Spirit by hearing with faith, then Peter said, so did Judah. So did the Yehudim. Now what was this yoke that Peter and his fellow Judahites and their forefathers, he said, neither we nor our forefathers, ancestors, have been able to bear this yoke. What was the yoke? They were all physically circumcised. Every one of them. They bore that. They were all, they all grew up in the Torah. Seems like they bore that. So what was the yoke? I believe, Brother Matthew believes, that the yoke was this. It was telling a man that he has to be saved by works rather than by grace. That's exactly what some among the party of the believing Pharisees were teaching. Acts 15, 1-5. That's the whole subject. You must be circumcised after the manner of Moses and keep the law or you cannot be saved. 
saved, salvation is the subject and the object in Acts chapter 15. Gentile salvation. And what that does, if you tell a man that, what that does is it places the burden of keeping the law perfectly on an individual. Not just circumcision. Not just the dietary laws. Not just the tzitzit, the tassels. You can't just keep a few outward laws and act like you've earned your way into the kingdom. That's works righteousness. Anybody can do that. I'm circumcised. I didn't even choose to do it. My mom and daddy did it when I was a little boy. I wear the tassels. I have the beard. I don't mar the borders of my beard. But you cannot rest in a few of the laws that you obey and think that that's what earns your way into the kingdom. Because the burden is this, keeping all of the law all of the time. That's what makes one perfect and complete with Yahweh. And there's only one man that ever did that. That was Yahweh's son. He obeyed Yahweh all of the time in every way, never sinning. There's four or five verses in the Bible that talks about he did not sin. No guile was found in his mouth. He was tempted, but he didn't sin. So neither the forefathers, the ancestors in Israel, nor Peter and his fellow Judahites at that time at the Jerusalem council, none of them had been able to bear that yoke. So why would they want to put that yoke now upon the neck of the believing Gentiles? And tell them you can't be saved until you first get circumcised and keep these laws that separate us from the outside world. The reason I believe that that's the yoke is because verse 11, verse 10 speaks of the yoke in Acts 15. Verse 11 in Acts 15 tells you what the opposite of the yoke is. Now Peter doesn't specify what the yoke is in Acts 15 verse 10 but he comes out and explicitly tells you what the opposite of the yoke is in verse 11. And if we know for sure what the opposite of the yoke is, then we can know what the yoke is. I hope you follow that. Very important. Very important. Again, Acts 15 verse 11. Right after Peter mentions the unbearable yoke, Peter says this. On the contrary. Now your Bible may say but. King James, New American Standard says but. If you look that up in the Greek, it means contrary-wise. That's why the HCSB translates it on the contrary. I think it's the, the Greek word Allah, actually. Acts 15, 11. On the contrary, which is the opposite, we believe that we, Peter speaking, Judahites, are saved, notice the subject is salvation, through the grace, notice grace contrasted with works, of the Master Yeshua in the same way, no distinction, they, the Gentiles, are. The people who were looked upon as heathens and second class, the men and women who were not allowed to come into the inner courts of the temple, the people who were considered to be common, they were being brought into the sheepfold, not by converting to become Judahites. That's not how they were coming in. Not by keeping all of the law. Peter and the forefathers hadn't done that. But they were coming in simply by grace. The message was preached. They heard the message. And they believed the message. They believed the message about Yeshua, Yahweh's son, who, who had been sent by, the, by Yahweh. And the Judahites, the people who were covenant people, the men and women who were allowed to go into the inner courts of the temple, the people who were considered not common but holy, they too had to be brought into the sheepfold by grace when they heard the gospel message and believed. 
You ever thought about in Acts chapter 2? Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter's only preaching to Judahites and proselytes, but proselytes means someone from another nation that has converted to become a Judahite. Okay? So Peter's only preaching to circumcised Torah keepers in Acts chapter 2, but yet he tells them in 2 and 38, he says, repent. Repent. Nobody's perfect in the law. They had to hear the gospel. Peter preached the gospel, not the law. He preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They were already there observing Pentecost. They knew the law. He preached the gospel. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. The word gospel just means good news, but good news doesn't mean I just saved $140 by switching to Geico on my car insurance. That's good news, but that's not the biblical good news. That's not the biblical gospel. Amen? The biblical gospel is a particular message. Paul said, I delivered it unto you as most important, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and, and other people, 500 people at one time. This is the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. Catch this. The Judahites had to believe that in order to be saved. Any Torah-keeping, thoroughbred, genetic Judahites who rejected the man from Nazareth were not considered the children of Yahweh. Didn't matter how pure their genes were. If they rejected Yeshua of Nazareth, they were not looked upon as the children of Yahweh. It was only those who received the word of Yahweh made flesh, our Messiah, only those were given the right to be called the children of Yahweh. Only those who believed in the name of the only begotten Son became sons and daughters themselves. And John says they were not born of blood. Hello. Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of Yahweh. Born of Yahweh. We're not talking about physical birth. We're talking about spiritual birth. Peter got the message. We need to be saved too from our sins. I know we've been raised in the Torah. I've been circumcised on the eighth day. But I need to be saved from my sins too. I need to believe in the promised salvation that has been sent. The salvation of Yahweh. The way of Yahweh. And Peter said, we're not saved any different than the Gentiles. The yoke of the law has been too much for us to bear too. As a matter of fact, it was too much for our forefathers to bear. They couldn't bear it either. On the contrary, we believe that we're saved by grace just like they're saved by grace. No man can be saved by his works, for we've all failed many times before and we will fail again. A man or a woman is saved by grace through faith when they hear the gospel message and they believe it. Now let me tell you this as I close. It has been refreshing for me to teach through this epistle without worrying about force-fitting something in to fit my doctrinal position. I'm past that. I'm not worried about reading the Bible to fit my doctrine. I just want to believe what it says and what it teaches and what it means. And I believe Yahweh's law is holy, just and good. Paul wrote that, by the way, in Romans chapter 7. And I believe in obeying the law of Yahweh. As a matter of fact, I think that the Spirit is given to you to cause you to obey the law. We obey it as He reveals it to us little by little. But that's not what saves a man or a woman. For the simple reason that the weight of the law for salvation 
is an impossible weight for you and I to carry on our shoulders. But the Messiah carried it for us. He did. He obeyed it all without fail. He even did the parts that he didn't really need to do, like get baptized. He didn't have to be baptized. The people that were coming to John to get baptized, it was a baptism unto repentance. They were confessing their sins as John baptized them in the Jordan River. Yeshua didn't have any sins to confess. But he said, suffer it. Allow it, John. Allow it. Because I have to fulfill all righteousness. He even did the positive aspects that he needed to do. Why? So he could fulfill all righteousness and be the perfect lamb to take away the sin of the world. He was the lamb of Yahweh. He carried the yoke of the law for salvation on our behalf. And if you place your faith in him, if you believe in him, all of your sins are washed away. And I don't have to tell you that you've got a lot of sins because you know it. If you're honest with yourself, you know that you've got a lot of them. And if you want to have a clean slate and if you want Yahweh to forgive you, believe in Yahweh's salvation. Believe in Yahweh's only begotten Son that Yahweh gave because He loved you so much. If you hear the word of truth, the gospel message, and truly place your faith in our Messiah, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that is only a down payment of what you'll get in the here and after. If Brother Jerry Kirk could still talk today, he would tell you life is but a vapor. It's just a drop in a bucket. We're here today and gone tomorrow. His life on earth is over. But that doesn't have to scare you if you're in the Christ. Because while you may live 60, 70, 100, 120 years here, you'll live forever in the age to come. Amen. Brother Jerry's going to get a new body. I believe in the resurrection. The Apostle Paul was not on trial for the rapture of the saints. He was on trial for the resurrection of the saints. Amen? I believe in the resurrection. That's a major doctrine that was taught by the apostles, the resurrection of the dead. That Just like Yahweh raised up Yeshua from the dead, He'll also raise us up at the second coming of Christ from the dead. But you must truly believe in Him for your salvation. Truly believe. Why do I stress that? I know everybody in here. I can't see into your hearts like Yahweh does. I can't see into my heart like Yahweh sees into my heart. If we truly believe in Him, why do I stress that? This is why. Because even the demons know that Yahweh is the only Almighty. The demons know it. And the Bible says they tremble. The demons hear the name of Yahweh. Boy. Oh, man. James 2 says that they do that. The demons even know that Yeshua is the Son of the Most High. Remember in the Gospels where Yeshua was casting the demons out? And they said, What have we to do with thee, Yeshua, thou Son of the Most High? Have you come to torment us before our time? They knew He had the power to torment them before their time that they're thrown into the lake of fire into Gehenna and they'll burn forever. Have you come to torment us? They know They believe mentally, but they don't believe into salvation. See, They don't trust in the work of Yahweh. 
some Jews one time asked Yeshua, what might we do that we might work the works of Yahweh? He said, this is the work of Yahweh that you believe in him whom he hath sent. In other words, you're so worried about your little pithy works over here, you're looking at who you need to believe in. A mental recognition alone will not save you. Just knowing that Yahweh is real or that Yeshua is real will not save you. You must trust and believe and have faith that Yahweh is your Savior. You must believe that the only way you can be saved is by trusting in His Son that He sent. If you and I do not believe savingly, we will be just as lost as the demons. For Brother Matthew, just to know the Father and the Son, that they're real, doesn't mean I'm saved. I have to trust that I can't be saved any other way but by putting faith in the work of Yahweh. That means that I'm saved. And so if you're trusting in anything else besides what Yahweh has done for you through the Messiah, you will be lost. So if that's the case, believe the gospel message today. Truly believe. I've preached it. You've heard it. But it must be accompanied with faith. You must believe it. It's not about walking down an aisle. I never give altar calls because I don't want people to have a false sense of security for salvation. Because you don't get saved by walking down an aisle. I did a job for a lady one time. Bless her heart. She was so sweet. But she told me, she said, let me tell you the story of my salvation. And I'm not saying she wasn't saved. But when she told me the story of her salvation, she said that when she first went to church, that she wanted to get saved that week, but the preacher didn't give an altar call so it couldn't happen. So she had to wait till the following week and he gave an altar call and she went down and she asked Jesus to come into her heart, made him Lord of her, of her life, and she got saved. No, that's not how it happens. I know that's what we're taught in the Bible Belt here in the Southeast. I know we're taught that, but that's not biblical. It's not about walking down an aisle or coming down to an altar. It's not about repeating a few words and shedding a few crocodile tears. It's not about asking Christ to come into your heart. And it's certainly not about making Him Lord of your life. That grates on my spirit. When somebody says, I made Him Lord of my life. You didn't make Him Lord. Yahweh made Him Lord. Acts 2.36 Let all the house of Israel know that this same Messiah whom you have crucified, Yahweh hath made both Lord and Christ. You don't make Him Lord. He's already the Lord. He's already the Master. Brothers and sisters, this is what it's about. It's about truly having faith in the Gospel message. Hearing with faith. You heard the Gospel message and you believed it. And it does have a change on your life. It affects your life. You change into a new creature and you begin to obey. That's not what saves you, but that's the result of it. It's just like a good tree bears forth good fruit. If you have a good apple tree in your yard, you can count every year on eating apples off of that tree. But having apples on it is not what makes it an apple tree. The reason it has apples on it is because it is an apple tree. Hallelujah. So it's about believing in the gospel message for your salvation and continuing in that belief. I've told some people about the gospel message. You know, I'm going a little bit lengthy tonight. I'm, I'm, this is my second closing, so I'm about to close. Paul said, finally, my brethren, and he went on to write three more chapters, right? It's about continuing in your belief. Some people hear the gospel and they say, oh, I already did that. I repented. I remember when I was nine years old and I repented and I got baptized and all. It's not about one-time event. 
when Yeshua says repent and believe the gospel, it's like this even in the English. But also in the Greek, it means ongoing. You always repent. You always believe. Yeshua said in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So just because you prayed a prayer or said a few words one time doesn't mean that you're saved. Do you continue to believe? Hello, hello. Do you continue to believe? Do you continue to have faith? Do you believe the gospel today? Do I believe the gospel today? I asked myself this when I was studying and putting this message together. I said, Matthew, do you really believe? And I truly believe that I do believe. I realized I would have no hope if it was not for Father Yahweh. If it were not for Him being the Savior and having grace upon my life, I would have no hope. I probably would not be here standing before you right now. In all truthfulness. Do you believe it is a question that has eternal consequences? It's the biggest question. It's the biggest question to ever ask. Do you truly have faith? May we ask it to ourselves in all reverence and seriousness. Do we truly have faith? Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name, Yahweh. I lift you up and I exalt you today. You are great and you are wonderful. Father, I pray that you'd stir up a fire in us. Give us that zeal that we once had there at the beginning in the early days. Give us a zeal for your truth, your word, your son, and our obedience. Let us always remember that we are not saved by the works of the law. I love your law, Yahweh. I believe in obeying it, but that's not what saves me from my sins. Let us not put the cart before the horse. Keep things in order and proper perspective so we might always give you the glory. I feel like the least among the saints. But Yahweh, Father, we're all, if we, all of those who have faith in Christ, we're on equal plane. I'm so thankful for that. I love you, Yahweh, and I love your son. It's through him I pray.